Well, go ahead and grab a seat. And let me just warn you up front, you should be a little bit nervous. <laughs> I got an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> and congratulations to all of you who did. For those of you who have young kids, I recognize you didn't. Someone should tell kids, right, like it's daylight savings, like you should sleep in your bed a little bit longer. My kids were up at 6.30 this morning. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm ready to go, Dad. I'm ready to do this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> but hey, welcome to Northridge Church. It is so good to be with you. Welcome home to each and every one of you. A shout out to our campuses. Hey, Webster, we love you guys. And it's really cool to see what God is doing at Webster. And so shout out to you guys. Our online family, it's great to be with you as well. No matter where you're joining us from, whether you're on a weekend getaway, a vacation, or you're at your home tuning in regularly to engage with us, or you're listening, driving in your car in the audio, thanks. And we love you, our online campus. And Rochester, it is great and to be with you, hang out with you. And you know, last week we, we started a brand new series called Heaven where we're just kind of discussing what God's eternal home for us is going to be like. And we think it's important, I think it's important, the Bible says it's important for us to understand heaven because it does two things. It gives us hope for the future, but it also changes our life today. And so in week one, which was last week, we kind of just gave you a little bit of a taste of heaven. We said heaven in the Bible is often used interchangeably in the original language, paradise and heaven. They kind of go hand in hand. And we said heaven's going to be a paradise. And we described it as a paradise in four ways. The paradise of sights and sounds, the things that we see and we hear. The paradise of stories of all the people gathered there with their stories of what they did on earth. And then a paradise of peace something that we're all looking after. And you know, in week one, I asked you to ask your questions, right? If you had questions about heaven, like we would love to answer them. And oh my goodness, holy smokes. Y'all asked your questions. I was bombarded with question after question. And listen, they were doozies. And so you might be wondering, is he still gonna answer our questions? Well, I wish I didn't say last week that I was gonna try to answer all your questions. But no, seriously, we're going to do our best to answer every single question you have, and we're going to do it in two ways. Next week, we're going to really do a Q&A sermon on a lot of the questions that we have about heaven. But also, if you don't listen to our podcast, we release it every Tuesday after Sunday. And just this last Tuesday, we began to dive into those questions, bringing clarity to heaven on some of the things that we wonder. And the easy way to get to that podcast, just go to our website, northridgerochester.com. Click that banner that says media. There's a podcast under there. You can watch it or you can listen to it. And it's going to be really interesting stuff that answers our questions. And so as we dig in this morning, today we're going to talk about the theology and the place of heaven. And I'm going to warn you up front, we're going to get in the weeds. Today we're going to bring some clarity to a lot of things that we don't understand about heaven. We're going to dig pretty deep this morning because it's important to understand heaven. Right, even the word heaven, when we read our Bibles, we have to be pretty careful because when you read the word heaven, it doesn't always mean in the Bible it's, it's referring to our eternal destination. Sometimes the word heaven in the Bible just refers to sky or atmosphere or the great expanse, but oftentimes it's referring to God's dwelling place, his abode, right? But also in the Bible, there are synonyms to heaven. Things that we don't automatically say heaven, like heavenly Jerusalem or paradise or Abraham's bosom that refer to that eternal destination. And so when we talk about this word heaven, here's what we mean. Let's define it. Heaven is the location in which God directly manifests his presence and his will is now completely done. 
So when we talk about our final destination, the place we go to be with God for all of eternity, there's two things that are involved. God's presence directly for all of eternity and his will has fully been accomplished. Now, here's what's interesting. When you study the Bible and you study heaven, you'll quickly realize that there's more than one heaven. Now, some of you are like, what did he just say? Yeah, Many scholars believe that there are actually three heavens. Today, we're going to talk about two intimately. Because when we, when we understand two heavens, there, in the Bible, it teaches us that there, there is an intermediate heaven and there is an ultimate heaven. And these two places are different with different purposes, right? And we see the evidence of this, not in Drew's mind, but in the Bible. John had a vision in Revelation chapter 21. Look what he says. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. So John here makes it very clear to us that there's coming a new heaven and a new earth, and when that happens, the first heaven will, will, will go away, intermediate heaven. And so let's bring some understanding, let's dive a little bit deep into understanding this place called intermediate heaven and this place called ultimate heaven. Let's start with intermediate heaven. What is that? Well, intermediate heaven is the present heaven you will go to when you die as a Christ follower. So for example, let's say one of us this week is, is going to pass away. We die. The place that we will go to is intermediate heaven. It's the place, it's the heaven that we look forward to, but it's not our final destination. And in fact, if you ever want to study this, this idea, this destination of heaven in more detail, let me recommend a great book for you. It's a book that I read throughout the loss of my dad that gave me a lot of hope. And it's a, it's a book that I read in the study of this series. It's written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's 450 pages. It's a deep dive, but it's the best book on heaven. And look what he says in his book about intermediate heaven. He says, when a Christian dies, he or she enters into what is referred to in theology as an intermediate state a transitional period between our past lives on earth and our future resurrection to life on new earth. And so Randy Alcorn says, hey, when, when we die, we actually go to this intermediate heaven. It's this intermediate state, a transitional period where we will finally get to our ultimate de destination known as heaven. Now, let me put this in terms that maybe you'll understand, right? So many of us have probably flown out of Rochester Airport. And one of the most frustrating things about flying out of the Rochester airport is no matter where you're going, you usually have to stop somewhere else, right? You, you got to stop in Charlotte or Atlanta or BWI, right? Because you have to stop somewhere to get to your final destination, right? I remember the first time I flew out of Rochester, I was going to Chad, Africa, and we had a 24-hour layover in Istanbul, Turkey. And so me and Josh Horn were like, hey, if we're going to be in Turkey for 24 hours, let's go out in the streets. Let's see the Hagia Sophia. Let's go explore and eat some of the, the, the Turkish food. And so for 18 hours, we were just kind of wandering around Turkey being like, this place is awesome. This is incredible. But it wasn't our final destination. We still had a place to eventually get to. And that's what intermediate heaven is. It's the place God uses in a time period to, to build up to the ultimate ultimate place that he has in store for us. That's called ultimate heaven. And so what is ultimate heaven? Ultimate heaven is the new heaven and earth God creates after evil has been destroyed. You see, there's coming a day that Jesus will return and make all things right. 
that he will judge evil in this world and all the evil in it. And when that happens, when evil is destroyed, he will actually take heaven and earth and collide them together to make heaven. Now, I think it's important for us to understand how this kind of fits in the scope of the Bible from beginning to end. You see, when you study the Bible, let me just give you a little bit of a small timeline of the Bible, right? When you think about the Bible, you go to your first book, right? The book of Genesis, Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created. And so we see the creation of the world. We see the creation of animals and, 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 and mankind, the land and sea. And so God, at the very beginning, creates all that we enjoy and know. But it doesn't take long, literally two chapters, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve fall. They live in rebellion to God. And that's where sin enters the picture. The Garden of Eden actually, many scholars believe, was the first heaven. It was a glimpse of what eternity was to come. And so Adam and Eve ruin everything because they sin. They live in rebellion to God. And that changes everything. It changes the world that we know it. And there's this weird time frame in the Old Testament where followers of God lived by faith but yet they followed the Mosaic law that, that, that Moses gave to the nation of Israel. And that takes us all the way up to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus arrives on the scene. We're about ready to celebrate it on Christmas. And we know Jesus comes to pay the penalty of our sin by dying on a cross and resurrecting. And there he pays for our sin and he resurrects three days later to give us the victory over our sin. And as he comes back to life, he promises one thing before he leaves. He says, I'm coming back. I will return. And we go to the end of the Bible in Revelation where Jesus, the second coming of Jesus comes. And why does he come? He comes to destroy evil, to eliminate evil altogether. And when that happens, guess what God does? He creates a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We call it ultimate heaven. And so you see this timeline, where in the world does intermediate heaven fall? Well, if you look at the fall of Adam all the way to evil being destroyed, that's the time period where when we die, we go to this intermediate state. Our souls go to the presence of God in intermediate heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you're like me, you're like, okay, if, if I'm going to die and I'm going to go to inter intermediate heaven, I want to know what it's going to be like. Right? Like, I want to have an idea of what this intermediate state, not my final destination, is going to be like. And we know from the Bible that this is a spiritual realm. We can't see in it, from, we can't see to it in earth. And we know that when we die, our soul goes to be with the Lord. We know this from the Apostle Paul. Look what he says. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So the Apostle Paul says, we as Christians, we should actually look forward to actually prefer being away from our fleeting bodies. So we're all going to die. We recognize this truth. And when we die, when our body fades, our soul leaves our body when we die, and it goes directly to being with the Lord. And so we know intermediate heaven is going to be in the presence of God. We also know that intermediate heaven is going to be a paradise, much like I described last week of sights and sounds and stories and peace. And the reason why we know that is from the verse we looked at last week, right? Luke 23, right? Jesus is on the cross with, with two thieves, and one thief rebukes Jesus, and one accepts Jesus. We see it here in Luke 24. He says, then he said to him, this is a thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today... Okay, that's important. Today, you're going to die in a couple hours, and on this day, you will be with me where? In paradise. 
Jesus could have easily said, hey, eventually, I'm, I'm building a place for you, and eventually you'll get there. No, he says, today, you're going to step into a paradise that you couldn't imagine. It's intermediate heaven. But I think the best glimpse of intermediate heaven is actually found in Revelation chapter 6, where John has this vision. Let's look at it. Revelation 6, it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, of, uh, under the, altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had had. And so here John has this vision. And right up front, I think we see a couple things about intermediate heaven that we have to make note of. John says he sees souls, souls away from the body, present with the Lord. And he knows these people because of their testimony on earth. And so I, I think we can come to this conclusion that when we get to heaven, the story, the things that we did on earth translate to heaven. Our story carries with us because he looks at these people and he says, they've been killed, they've been slain because of what they did here on earth. And so when we get to heaven, it's not like our life is just completely deleted. Our story is gone and we start fresh. No, our stories of what we accomplished and what we did in Christ's name on earth translate to heaven. But then in verse 10, look what he says. He says, they called, this is the saints, they called out in a loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. So a couple more things that we see about intermediate heaven is we as Christ followers, we have permission to ask God any questions that we have, right? We get to dwell with God in his presence and we get to ask him. They say, hey, God, how long do we have to wait until you restore the earth? And so maybe based off of this, people in heaven have some idea of what's going on in earth. We don't know the full scope of that, but maybe we can see what's happening here on earth because they recognize that God's will is not fully done yet. They're like, how long must we wait? How long do we, do we wait for you to come back, God? We want you to restore. And so we, we get a small window into what intermediate heaven is going to be like. But then there's this question. Why does intermediate heaven even exist? Right? Why, why didn't God just write the story where we just go to our final destination? Why does there have to be a stop along the way? And we actually get the answer to this question in the same passage, in the same question. Right? The saints cry out, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So they're longing for the day that Jesus comes back and, and gets rid of evil. He judges the world. And it gives us a glimpse. This, this is why intermediate heaven exists, because evil still exists, right? There's going to come a time where, where, where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to destroy evil. But until that time frame, intermediate, serves, intermediate heaven serves its purpose, and we know this, right? We don't have to look very far to recognize that evil exists in humanity, right? You don't even have to look any farther than yourself, right? There's evil in me, there's evil in you. And then just turn the news on and you'll see the evil of humanity. And you might ask, why are we evil? Well, because of the fall of man and because we're deceived by the one who actually has power over the world, right? You might not know this, but our enemy, the devil, has dominion over this world. First John 5, it says, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
And so there's evil here because we're sinners and we're deceived by Satan, evil himself. But there's coming a day where Jesus will come from heaven a second time and he will judge the evil of this world and he will get rid of the enemy once and for all. We find that day in Revelation chapter 20. It says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of the burning sulfur where beasts where the beasts and false prophets have been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's going to come a day where Jesus wipes evil out. And once evil is destroyed, God is going to create our final destination, a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and earth are going to collide and make our ultimate home. In fact, look what 2 Peter says. I love this verse. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, look at what he asks. He says, what kind of people ought you to be? Let's pause here. This is a really important question because we have the knowledge of what the Bible says about what's going to unfold in the future events. We know that, that, that God's going to get rid of evil. But in the meantime, right, this is this present time, how should we live? How should, what, what should our lives look like? He says, what, what should we be? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where evil no longer exists and where righteousness dwells. And that place is called ultimate heaven. It is our final destination. And so when we long for heaven, we should long for that final destination. But what is it going to be like? What is ultimate heaven going to be like? And believe it or not, I believe that earth gives us a flawed picture of what heaven is going to be like. It is flawed, but I think the things of this earth give us a glimpse into what ultimate heaven is going to, to be like and feel like. In fact, I think we have to understand that heaven and earth are not opposites. They are just overlapping circles that share sermon, certain commonalities, right? Earth and the things that we enjoy of this earth actually gives us a beautiful window into what heaven could be like. In fact, I love what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says, the church is constantly being tempted to accept this world as her home. But if she is wise, she will consider that she stands in the valley between the mountain peaks of eternity past and eternity yet to come. So we have a window into ultimate heaven through what we experience here on earth, although it's a flawed window. That's why the Bible, when it, when it describes heaven, it uses earthly terms, right? The Bible says that heaven is going to be like a city, Right? And we understand that language because we live near or in a city. Many of you today live in the city of Rochester or the suburbs of Rochester. And so we get a glimpse into, wow, there's going to be this city feel very similar to here on earth. Look what it says in Hebrews 11. It says, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And I, I just can't wait to see what kind of city God draws up and builds for us. The Bible also describes heaven as a country, right? And we get this. We're from the United States of America. We get the terminology of, of country. And look what Hebrews 11 says. It says, instead, they were longing for a better country. Anybody ever been there in the last season of our life? Longing for a better country? What? Guess what? A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
And so there's a city and a country, but there's also residents or citizens, right? We get so caught up in, in the United States, but we, you know, we're citizens of, of the United States. And I think it's important, but what's more important is you are a citizen of heaven if you know Jesus. And that should be more important than your citizenship here on earth, right? Philippians says this, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, as we eagerly await a Savior there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me do something with you. As we picture this final destination, heaven, that we're going to spend all of eternity, right, I want you to think about the things you love on earth. Right, what are the things that you just love about the place God has you right now? Right, I, I watch social media, so, you know, I, I see your posts. I'm watching you. And, you know, based off of people's social media, I can, I can kind of get a glimpse into what people love, right? I see people pictures with their sunsets in the background, mountains and beaches, their tr the trees of this world, big and small, the flowers in their garden, right? We love the beauty of creation on earth. I also see on social media, you know, the coffee that you drink every morning. <laughs> right? Praise God for coffee. I also see the, the food you ate at that restaurant, right? The food that tastes so good that you can't replicate at home. You just hope that chef is saved in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I also see, you know, the animals that you love, your pets that you're cuddled up with, the weddings you go to, the laughter you have, the technology, the relationships you live with your kids, your spouse, your family, your coworkers, right? These are all things that we love about this earth. And here's what I believe. Those things in a godly and amazing way are just gonna get better in heaven. We're gonna take them with us. They translate to heaven. But for a second, I want you to think about the things you just can't stand about earth. The things that just, man, drive you crazy. The things that you wish didn't d exist here. Like conflict, right? The conflict you have with your spouse, your coworker, your kids, your friends, that coach. The lies that you've told or someone else has told you. The cheating, the pain, the brush burns, the back pain, the, the, the worry and the stress and the anxiety, the diseases and the viruses and the colds and the runny noses, the death, right? Like those are things that we just didn't wish exist. Good news. They don't in heaven. And so imagine a world where you get to take the godly things of this earth, the things that you enjoy, and you get to subtract all the terrible things of this earth. Do you know what we call that? Heaven. We call that God's eternal destination for us. What does that look like? Well, I think the Bible gives us a beautiful picture of that. And most of us, when we look for a picture of heaven, we go to the end of the Bible. I actually believe the best picture of heaven is found at the very beginning of your Bible. Most scholars believe that the first heaven was actually the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden gives us a beautiful picture of what heaven is going to be like, where heaven and earth Collide, And I want to give you four pictures from the Garden of Eden that will give us a glimpse into heaven. And the first one is this, that animals lived in symmetry with humanity. I just think this is so crazy that in, in, in heaven, we are going to live in harmony with not just our pets. Right, right. I know, I, I know many of you, you love your dogs. I'm not sure how you can love your cats, but... <laughs> Sorry, it's two weeks in a row. I, I ask for your forgiveness. 
right? I, I know we, many of you are animal lovers, right? You, you, you love your animals, right? Your goats, your sheep, your llamas, your pa- pets, your cats. For me, it was a hermit crab, right? Because my mom wouldn't let me have a pet when I grew up, <laughs> right? She's in the service, just what she's saying. She's over there, she's over there. So, I mean, you can talk to her afterwards. And so I had Hermie the hermit crab. Right, and the only reason I got him was because it was like part of a school project, and it was heartbreaking when Hermie outgrew his shell and I had to flush him down the toilet. I'm still scarred. But the great news is I have a hope that, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get to hang out and wrestle with the lions and the grizzly bears, right? The animals that would like take our heads off, now we live in symmetry with. It's crazy to think, because it's so different than this world, but look at Genesis 2, the Garden of Eden. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. And so we will live in harmony with the animals God has created. The second thing we see from from Genesis, the Garden of Eden, is that there will be no shedding of blood. Right? And there's good news with this, and there's bad news with this. Let's start with the good news. The good news is there's going to be no more death, no more pain, no more brush burns or strawberries, right? All the aches and the pains that we deal with on a regular basis are gone. Here's the bad news. This one's going to hurt a little bit. There's probably not going to be any bacon (laughs) or steak or pork or chicken. Right? Y'all can throw your smokers out. (laughs) We're going to be vegetarians in heaven. I know. I'm believing in the name of Jesus, somehow God could make broccoli taste like pulled pork. But let's dive a little bit deeper in this, this point of like no shedding of blood, right? Think about all the things just over this last year and a half that have just caused us stress, right? Think about the polarized, angry world that we live in. That will be gone. A world that is, is characterized by physical violence, shooting, and wars. We will no longer turn our news station on and see any of that stuff. The relational strife that we have regularly with our family and our coworkers, that is all gone. We live in perfect harmony with human beings. Sounds so different than the world we live in. Third thing about the Garden of Eden that we see is that there was work and purpose. I don't know where people get this idea that somehow in heaven, we're just going to be people who float around clouds, lazy as all could be. I don't know where that came from. I also don't know where this idea that heaven will be this perpetual Sunday service or somebody preaching. Can I tell you, you can worship God beyond the Sunday. You can worship God when you're not singing and when you're not listening to a preacher. And in heaven, we will work and our work will give glory to God. And so we're going to have jobs. I believe the gifts God has given you here on earth will translate to heaven. And you look at Adam. He wasn't just wandering around being like, what should I do, God? I don't know what to do. Where's my cloud? I lost it. I can't float anymore. (laughs) No, look look what he says. He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so we will have jobs in heaven. Here's the difference, though. Because I know for many of you, tomorrow is Monday. And you're going to wake up and you're like, dang, I got to go to work. 
this stinks. In heaven, you'll wake up and say, I can't wait to get to work. Because, man, I get to bring glory to God. And the thing that you do is going to feel like a vacation. We often live for the weekend, right? Like, is it Friday yet? Or am I on vacation yet? Right? No. In heaven, that's going to be so different because your work is going to bring purpose to your life. And you will love it. So these are some pretty amazing things about heaven. But let me warn you. I, I think one flawed thing we do with heaven as a sinful human beings is we long for heaven because of all the things that we get. We long for heaven because of how our lives going to change. But the reality is the best thing about heaven is that Eden was perfect and humanity lived with a perfect God. Can I tell you the best thing about heaven is not no more pain. It's not the peace that we get. It's the fact that we get to sit and be with our Savior. Right? Now, I'm afraid too many Christians would take a heaven with all the benefits of heaven minus the Savior of heaven. Think about that for a second. What do you long for when it comes to heaven? Is it the fact that it will be a better life for you, or is it the fact that you get to be in a relationship with Jesus that is no longer hindered by sin? I believe we should long for heaven because we get to be in the presence of God. So as we study heaven... Right? We look at the theology. One thing I'm afraid of is we, we can walk out of here and be like, man, whew, that was awesome. I learned a lot of things about heaven, but how is it going to change my life today? Right? I want us to know we don't show up on Sunday to grow spiritually obese, to walk away and say, man, I learned so much. The point of the Bible is not that you just learn things. It's to sanctify you, change who you are each and every day. And so we gather together to open God's word to say, wow, that's amazing. I'm, I'm full of the knowledge of Jesus, but that knowledge God has to transform my life tomorrow. And so how does this message do that? Right? It's full of theology. Well, I think there are two ways that this message today can change your tomorrow. And I'll give you two ways that they live kind of in tension with each other. The first way is I want you to enjoy the things of this earth to put your focus for living for eternity, right? Let the joys of this earth put your focus on living for all of eternity. It is okay, I wanna give you permission, it is okay to enjoy that cup of coffee in the morning, to enjoy the relationships God has given you. It's okay to enjoy the things that God has given you here on earth. And those joys should actually put your heart in focus and in hope for eternity yet to come. And that hope for eternity should change who you are today. Right? When we focus on eternity, here's what I do. I think it puts an urgency in our heart for our friends and coworkers to experience what we know we're going to get to experience. And so what it does is when we go to work on Monday, it causes us to live out the gospel and share the gospel with people. It causes us to tell people about the good news of Jesus. It lets us know what really matters here on earth. And so it's okay to enjoy some of the things, the godly things of this earth. And that joy should put your hope for eternity and change the way you live here on earth. But what, what comes in tension with that is I think for many Christians, <laughs> I would warn you not to get too comfortable here on earth. Right, it's okay to, to, to love the joys of this earth, but I think many Christians don't long for heaven because they like earth too much. We've gotten too cozy here. We, we almost find home here. 
And the Bible's clear, Hebrews 13, it says, for this world, earth is not our permanent home. And we should be looking forward to a home yet to come. And so how do you know? How do you know if you're, you're in, in between that state? How do you know if you're too comfortable here? Well, let me give you some gauges. In your life, if all you care about is finding the next thing, chasing after popularity, influence, money, and the things of this world that ultimately just fade, you've probably gotten too comfortable here. I'd like to say it like this. You're too comfortable on earth when you chase the things of this earth more than you love the people of this earth. And so what matters to you? Is it the next promotion, the bigger house, the nicer car? You realize all those things when you die, your body is gone, your, your body is dead and your soul is with heaven. None of that comes with you, right? Look what First John says. It says, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is what? It's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So maybe today you think about how, how comfortable are you here? Right? This is not our home. And so I'll close with a question. Last week I, I closed with this question, right? Will your story get to experience heaven? Does your story, do you know Jesus and will you be in heaven? But this week, I want us to marinate on a different question. It's this, do you long for heaven? And has that longing changed the way you live today? Right? If you don't long for heaven, today's a good day to start. To long for the place God has created you to live for all of eternity. But that longing for eternity yet to come should change the urgency I live today with. So do you long for heaven? And has that longing changed the way you live today? Let's pray together. God, thanks for the windows you give us into eternity. And God, we don't know the whole picture. and We don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. But you dropped clues all along the way so that we could get excited and long to just be with you. And so, God, I pray for that person who has not yet stepped into a relationship with you, that today they would ask their questions, that they would seek to find the answers, and that you would meet them right where they're at, and that they would cross that line of faith where they would say yes to you, God. And I pray for all of us as Christ followers, God, that we would be so excited about our home, our future home, and that excitement would change and put a passion in our life to live differently here and now, that we would not only share the gospel, but we would live out the gospel for the world to see that you are great, God. In Jesus' name.